Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here. Welcome to the Marrow Report. The Marrow Report is recorded in front of a live virtual audience on the Duck Pond. Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, live. Mallard.com. M-A-L-L-I-A-R-D.com. One more thing before we start. Let me turn it over to my friend that you may know from Ancient Aliens and the Curse of Oak Island and many other things. Robert Clotworthy. On the Malliard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcasts, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. On the Malliard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the show are solely those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcasts, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. I want to welcome everybody in this evening. I've... Um Last week it was nice. This week it's not so much. But anyway, it's not. A, we're not going to hear. Not to, this isn't the weather channel, so don't get confused. We're not going to uh, run away from it. Every uh, live chatter wants to know what the shirt says. It says Scooby Doo, of course, because we're talking about anything but paranormal stuff tonight. Because I plan my wardrobe accordingly. I don't know. Anyways, my guest tonight is Courtney. Courtney Turney. Courtney, how are you doing? Hello. I'm doing well, thank you. How you, are you? You just told me you did a free hour show this morning, and I'm just—I'm still dumbfounded by that. We're just—I just just for the record. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I did a three-hour show yesterday as well. <laughs> so okay, let, let's start there. So tell that uh, the well, the one this morning was your podcast. So work. Give me a little bit about that, and then we'll work our way. I guess we'll work our way back to what you're all about. But since we're in the podcast, let's go there. Sure. Uh, so the podcast that I did this morning was with Dr. Lee Merritt, and we had actually done one in person that was much shorter. It was about 38 minutes. That one was only supposed to be about 15 minutes. It was right before she was giving a speech. So I knew this one was, I actually had said it to a friend of mine, I'm like, this one's going to be three hours. And I knew I was going to have to move things around. But yeah, so it was it was really awesome. They took down, I released the other one, the 38-minute one, and YouTube took it down. So it's up on all of my other platforms, but this one I don't think I'm going to bother trying putting it on there. So <laughs> so uh, when, when did you start and what's your podcast generally about? Because I know my show kind of runs a little bit between a couple of lines, but not necessarily stays firm to anything. Right. So... It's a, it's my name. It's the Courtney Turner podcast. And I release twice a week, although I'm about to start three times a week because I have so many sitting on my desktop. So Mondays typically are like political, geopolitics, history, sociocultural zeitgeist. And Thursdays are typically centered more around health, fitness, medicine, lifestyle. But the central theme is really about sovereignty free will, freedom, that kind of thing. So personal responsibility. So the duck pun is wondering, do you have a, um, did YouTube give you a reason they took the video down or was it just one of these random um, It's always misinformation. So they don't really tell you exactly what. This one was a little bit more specific. It said that they don't, uh, they don't accept any uh, claims about covid that go against the guidelines of the CDC. Okay. Yeah, the CDC or the, I think the WHO, I, I think they said the CDC, yeah. So, so, when did you start doing your podcast? I'm always, I'm deeply fascinated because I've been doing it for way <laughs> too long, sorry. It, <laughs> yeah, it was a little over a year ago. Um, yeah. So I kind of had the idea a little before, quite a bit before then, and I really started it a little over a year ago. So, so you're a, you're a COVID baby, right? And got, got stuck at home and had I have this. a COVID baby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. And and it was COVID that really spawned it. It was 
in 2020, you know, I was out in California. The lockdowns were pretty egregious and pretty severe and really just depressing and demoralizing. And I was having a really hard time because not only were we locked down, but everybody was wearing masks and I'm hearing impaired. So I learned how to speak by reading lips. I didn't get hearing aids until I was almost six years old. So while I don't really think that the masks are beneficial for anyone, I think they're quite detrimental for everyone, they were really devastating for me because I became so much more isolated. Because now not only was I did I lose my, my job, my speaking events, you know, really everything I was doing. So I was kind of cut off from all social contact. And then on top of it, you know, if I did go anywhere or see anyone, I couldn't understand them because they were wearing a mask. And so I couldn't read their lips and I really was having a really hard time communicating. And I felt really, really isolated and I was just not happy to say the least. So uh, a lot of people had suggested starting a podcast and I don't know, I had a lot of resistance to it. Uh, The whole idea made me really nervous. And then it kind of dawned on me that if nothing else, I even on Zoom, at least I would see people's faces and have conversations. I realized how much I was hungering for those conversations. I actually would go down the block. I mean, I was in Santa Monica. I mean, the rules were just getting ridiculous. I would go like an hour and a half drive just to go for a hike because people were getting arrested on the mountain. So, I mean, it was that kind of ludicrous. And so I realized, though, that because essential businesses were things like liquor stores, donut shops, you know, the gyms that I worked in were shut down, but those things were kept open. And so I would go daily to the liquor store, and I realized after a couple of weeks, I'm not, you know, a huge drinker. So I would have, you know, maybe one glass, if that even. But I realized by the end of a couple of weeks, I would finish you know, by a week or two, I would be finishing a bottle. And it was definitely more than I wanted to be drinking. And I poured a glass and I didn't even like the taste of it. And I started to think about it. I'm like, why am I even doing that then? And I realized it was because the liquor store was the only place where I could walk in. He honored, you know, my medical exemption not to wear a mask. He took his mask off and he would have conversations with me, the owner of the liquor store. They weren't, you know, these super deep kind of conversations or anything but I realized that I was so desperate to talk to another human being that I went daily to the liquor store so that I could have a conversation with a human and see their face so all this to say that was kind of the genesis for the podcast I realized that even if I did nothing with these conversations I would be able to see people's faces and have meaningful discussions and that might make me a happier person so it might make you a happy person, did it? I'm assuming it did, but I don't want. To, I just don't want to put words in your mouth. <laughs> absolutely, it absolutely did. Yeah, and I, I think it was. You know, one of the things Dr. Merritt actually said. She didn't say it on my podcast, but she said it. In, we touched on it briefly on um, the first one we did, but she had said it in a speech that I had seen her do. But she said that a lot of these people who didn't get caught up in a lot of the COVID stuff, it was because they they had an intellectual outlet and that kind of saved them. And I think that's exactly what the podcast did for me. It's part of why I didn't fall for a lot of the psyops. It's why I didn't, you know, fall for a lot of the propaganda. And it's also what really got me out of feeling, you know, isolated, anxious, depressed. It really, yeah, it helped me tremendously. It gave me an outlet. So let's go back because you were building the bridge there for me and then you got back into your podcast, which is good. Let's, let's talk about your past because it's phenomenal to be talking to you. I mean, for well, those, you. okay. So for those people out there who haven't had the opportunity to read your bio, do you want to run through some of that real quick so they can all be caught up? Yeah, sure. So, uh, I, I was doing prior to the lockdowns, I was doing motivational speaking and aerial acrobatic performances, which I am going to be starting up again pretty soon in a couple of months. And most of the speeches would be centered around my personal life story, which is kind of unique. My mom had German measles during the first trimester of pregnancy. So I was born with congenital rubella. 
this rendered me with unilateral blindness. So I had a cataract on my eye when I was first born. I cataracted my first cataract surgery when I was three months old. Several complications with the eye. And then I was hearing impaired, bilaterally hearing impaired. But we didn't really find out until I was around six. I got hearing aids when I was about six years old, but I learned how to speak by reading lips, as I was saying. And I had heart surgery as a year old. I was born with hypotonic limbs, fine graphic motor impairment, stunted growth, asymmetrical bone development. And they told my mom the best she could hope for me was to find a nice institution for me to spend my life. That's a bit heavy. So, okay, so yeah. but your mother knew that. Did you? I mean, obviously, you now that you now know that. But how? What? How old were you when you first heard that? I think I was pretty young. I actually don't know exactly how old I was, but I was pretty young. Uh, my parents actually sued for my birth. It was called a wrongful birth case. So yeah, I mean, I did know pretty early. I don't know exactly at what age I knew that. But. Oh, but early enough to you know have it sitting on your shoulders as a child though apparently uh-huh right <laughs> <laughs> so I, obviously okay so having said that obviously you had a chip on your shoulder early and you didn't fold though well, I, I wouldn't say i had a chip on my shoulder early i think if, if anything i very much had the opposite i mean i definitely had challenges early and you know i think i I definitely had a lot to over a lot to overcome from a pretty early age. But I wouldn't say I had a chip on my shoulder. I think if anything, I kind of had the mindset that, you know, I could do what I wanted to do and yeah. Well, I, I mean I, my I, mom obviously didn't she but, obviously didn't believe them when they said, you know, put her in an institution. So. Yeah, well, I guess that's what I'm saying, that, that you worked hard and wanted to get out of that situation because obviously yeah. you could have folded the tent and said, yeah, that's where I should be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. So I've seen all these pictures of you up doing balance beam and all this movement stuff. So where is that what kind of got you going? Yeah. So I I do talk about that. You know, I think a lot of things went into my healing and overcoming. But I think movement's a huge part of it. I, I think because I lacked, you know, motion parallax and vestibular sense, that movement practices really helped me to increase my kinesphere, my proprioception, and just functionally navigate through the world in a way that I don't know that I would have been able to do otherwise. I think it really helped me compensate a lot. And in my speeches, what I talk about is that, you know, we, we know a lot about how wonderful movement is for the physiological aspects of humanity we know even emotionally and mentally all the great things that it does but a lot of people don't necessarily know or recognize the more philosophical kind of components of movement and that's really kind of what i focus on i talk about movement being a metaphor for life and using your physical training as a teacher to overcome adversity because it's so tangible and it teaches you so much about how you handle really everything and I think that, you know, paying attention to that and kind of using that as a guide can help you to overcome other obstacles in life. But, okay, now I'm going to throw this at you, and it's going to sound kind of awkward and, and strange, and okay. I'm saying that up front. But you were okay. had impairments with two of the five senses starting out. So I'm, I'm, picturing, I'm picturing myself with this movement, and then I'm seeing you on a balance beam, and I'm not – there's a gap there for me because – I'm thinking about myself being limited and wanting to, I don't know, for the lack of a better word, protect myself instead of exploring those edges of things that make me uncomfortable being a, I don't want to say normal person, but I'll say it for this moment. Um, so how did you overcome that obstacle or that fear, I guess, I have of it? So I, so I think for me, I'm somebody who really thrives on challenges. I've always kind of been that way. And I, I like to prove, you know, what I'm, what I'm capable of. And I like to, you know, test it and discover it. So that's kind of just part of my personality. The balance theme is interesting because it was actually a concept that my mom came up with and my grandfather designed. So I was very, very young, you know, like ages of two, maybe three. Uh, they would build this beam and I wore a patch over my sighted eye every other day of my childhood. So I was essentially, blind and deaf every other day of my childhood and 
my mom thought, well, wouldn't it be great to, you know, create this beam and it would help kind of develop more of my, my, uh, sorry, my vestibular sense and some of my proprioception helped me balance because that was a challenge being hearing impaired and visually impaired. And so what they did was they would have me walk on this every day, regardless of whether or not I had my patch on. So some days I could see and some days I couldn't. And if I completed it for a full week, they would make this beam narrower. So when I was about four, I had gone to day camp and they had gymnastics. So when I walked into the gym, I saw the beam and it was, of course, very familiar. And it ran over to it. I joined the gymnastics and I really fell in love with gymnastics. So the beam was a very particular kind of special thing for me. But I think a lot of it really boils down to, I'll give you one more example. I think this kind of, you know, really sums it up. I had a friend who asked me, I like to do physical challenges, and I was trying to climb a pegboard with a 53-pound kettlebell attached to my waist. And he asked me, he said, what is that all about? Is that really about, like, climbing the pegboard? And I said, no, it's about proving to myself that I can do difficult things because there will always be difficult things to do. And that's, like, a really tangible way to prove yourself that you can do difficult things. And I think we often in life doubt that. You know, life can be really hard, and a lot of people, there's a lot of naysayers, and, you know, sometimes the biggest naysayers ourselves. So testing ourselves regularly and surprising ourselves with being capable of more than we thought, I think is just really profound and useful. So, okay, so let's, let's boil this down, because this is where it's going to get good. So... <laughs> You, you mentioned the naysaying voice in our own head, and you mentioned it even with your own show about how you just weren't yeah. sure how it was going to go. So even mm-hmm. then, you, then you mentioned this horribly uncomfortable carrying a 53-pound uh, 50, kettlebell up over climbing. That just blows my mind, too. Okay, so you're blowing my mind here, so this is all good. <laughs> but how do we take that? Uh, the first step is obviously the hardest. I think we've all heard that before. But how do we get the mind right and spinning the right direction to make us accept these challenges and start taking them on? I'm sorry, say that again. How do we? How do we get the, our mind right with these challenges to start accepting them and start taking them on and start, instead of being defeated by anything, how do we start turning that corner and seeing opportunities and so start taking that route? You start with something that you know you can do. And, and that's, again, why I think movement is really awesome because sometimes, like, a hu- I always would have, you know, like a regular kind of workout routine was always scheduled into my, you know, practice, like, not it, most of the time daily, but even if it wasn't daily, it was always built into my routine. And a huge part of that is that it's one thing you check off the box, and it's one thing you you know you're going to feel accomplished when you leave. And I think that's exactly how we do it. And it would make me feel empowered to then go take on other challenges throughout the rest of the day. And I think that's what you do. It doesn't have to be physical. It doesn't have to be like a you know a hard workout or whatnot. But I think that's a really great place to start because it is so tangible, but it really can be anything. You know, that's why people make to-do lists. And sometimes they start with like the easiest things first because you get them done and then you feel empowered to take on the bigger challenges because, Hey, you've already accomplished something. You already got something done. So you already proved that you could. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I know I write myself a lot of to list to-do lists. And of course the only problem is, the more I add, the more I get sidetracked into doing other things that aren't on the list. I don't know. It's yes. <laughs> well, that, that is kind of life, yes. <laughs> but I think it's in terms of answering your question about taking on challenges and how do we tackle those, I think a lot of times we people get stymied and they don't proceed because they feel overwhelmed and they also fear not being able to accomplish it. And that's why starting with something that you know you can tackle is a really great place to start. And then test yourself a little bit further. Take on a challenge that's slightly more difficult. So basically, uh, I'm going to, again, I hate putting words in your mouth, but grow slowly. Don't try, don't, okay, so for me, this will be an obvious one for you by the sounds of you've talked to me now for 20 minutes. Running a marathon is probably not my best bet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, <laughs> right, but if I start, start small and build my way up is, is what you're what you're hitting towards, right? 
And I think that's good, yeah, solid advice I, I for mean, anything I, we're going to do. I haven't run a marathon, but I have run a half marathon. And, you know, your first day of training, you don't run, you know, 12 miles. You do, you know, maybe half a mile the first day. And then you build up. Maybe the next day you're doing, well, not the next day, but, you know, maybe you run like a total of three miles the first week. And then you build up. Maybe you can get four miles total the next week. So, okay. And you, you, sometimes you, you will run, walk, right? Sometimes you'll do some sprints, so you build in different challenges, and then eventually you're running 26 miles, you know? So I know this probably isn't the best format for this conversation, but you've mentioned movement now a few times, so um, help me out here. I mean, obviously you, you've said it's important, but you're, what kind of movements are you talking about? Just being up and walking or... Yeah, I mean, I really call it movement because I say all human beings are designed to move. The ways in which we do are unique creative expression. So I think movement is really personal. You know, some people are natural dancers. Other people are not. Some people are natural skiers and other people are not, you know. But I do think that people have, and some of that is just preference, but some of it is their innate talent and ability and personality plays into that as well. So I encourage people, I don't call it like training or exercise, I, and I don't want it to be structured for people. I really want to encourage people to find movement that they enjoy that feels like their expression. And walking, people really underestimate the power of walking. I mean, walking is one of the best exercises out there, but it's not only a great exercise. It can be incredibly meditative. You know, almost everybody's designed to walk. Not everybody's designed to run, but most people can walk. And it can be really, really beneficial, and not just physiologically, but in many other ways. So I, I, this is going to sound bad. This is not a plug for either of our podcasts. Maybe it is. Maybe I, should not, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't say this. But locking and listening to podcasts is a great activity because it kind of keeps the mind going in a positive direction yeah. that you want it to go. But, I support it, and, <laughs> and <laughs> absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, because I do think it has a meditative quality, and I I think move, moving meditation is one of my personal favorites. So, and not and not okay. to knock any of the musicians out there listening, because I know I've got a few. But walking, listening to a podcast is better than music because, well, a music has its time and its place, but. I want people to think of just a touch more. Just a touch. I think I like music for running. For I think for walking, this is just me personally, I would prefer a podcast because I think it when you're walking, you're kind of you're taking things in. It's a very kind of you know whereas when you're running it's very directive. So I think you're more able to process and absorb through when you're walking, but that's just me. I don't know. So now I've got another bridge that I need to, to build here because I'm a little, uh, I love doing this, painting this complete picture of a person. So you went from <laughs> at, at the uh, the summer camp doing the, the gymnastics and we've kind mm -hmm. of built back the other way of uh, doing the podcast, but there, and kind of mm -hmm. did some speaking there, but how do we get from, well, now we've got the two sides. So how do we get from doing the gymnastics to all this other stuff? Oh, well, I, I, it depends on which other stuff we're talking about. There, there was a lot of life in there. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. We're still, we're, we're, we've kind of, uh, kind of went back and forth from the beginning to the end. Well, the end to the beginning, mm -hmm. but we now we have to kind of build in the middle there. So, um, wherever you want to go with it, I, I mean, I don't want to get too personal with you, but there's a lot that yeah. has to evolve in there. Sure. Uh, I mean, I did a lot of gymnastics is always like, you know, a huge part of my life. I did a lot of sports, though, all the individual sports like figure skating, uh, horseback riding, dance. And I didn't do any of the team kind of ball sports because I don't have motion parallax. So I tried lacrosse and then I came a 16th of an inch of going blind because the ball smacked me and scratch, scratched a 16th of an inch away from my cornea. So in the IC out of, so yeah, ball sports and contact sports are not my thing but um yeah so I, I mean I stayed with that for quite a while and I didn't do sports in college I went to a very small very academic school I was a philosophy major I 
graduated. I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot to fill in all over the place. But um, yeah, I was an actress producer uh, when I first graduated. And at some point I moved out to L.A. And yeah. I don't know what else to do on that. <laughs> well, there's, there's obviously a lot. Yeah, I was gonna say that, there's a lot but... there. So you, you okay? So now we're we're close. So you you graduated from school. You moved to LA. Mm-hmm. Okay, but that that kind of seems like that closes that well part of that gymnastics chapter of your life, and you start to move forward into gym- other things. The gymnastics chapter kind of reopened when I tried out for American Ninja Warrior. So I. Yeah, so I had a, a trainer who thought that, you know, my life would magically kind of fall into place if I could get enough sleep. I de- definitely not, like, one of my strong suits. And so he told me I needed, like, mindless reality television to help me go to sleep. And so he one day comes in and shows me, starts talking to me about this reality show. And he's super excited. He's like, I got it. I got it. I'm like, what? And he's like, the perfect mindless reality show for you to watch to fall asleep to. I don't know why he thought this would be soporific material for anyone, but certainly not for me. And so he's explaining to me that there was a girl who was, you know, close to my size, a former gymnast, and she was the first woman to make it up the warp wall. And he's explaining this whole thing. And then in between sets, he has to show me. He was so excited. He's like, I have to show you her run. And so he did. And I thought it was awesome and I was like that looks like so much fun so on my way back I had asked him if I could possibly train for that did he think he could help me and when I try out and he told me it was my two weakest points it was grip strength and speed and and I said well if I was already so good at them why would I hire you to help me <laughs> right <laughs> that's the training for so he's like yeah okay you know so we did but when I tried out for American Ninja Warrior, so I really didn't talk much about my story uh, because, as you can imagine, certainly was I was advised against it as an actress, and I was bullied a lot in school, and so it just really wasn't something I talked a whole lot about. And then when you try out for Ninja Warrior, you produce a video and you submit it, but my... Uh, ex-boyfriend had made the video for me he was a professional editor and so it was such a massive file that I couldn't actually upload it anywhere he told me I had I had two hours the next day if I wanted any edits made and every portal including my own computer was telling me it would take 72 hours to render and I didn't have 72 hours so what I did was I uploaded it to Facebook and made it private and I sent it to six people and asked for their feedback. One of those people shared it publicly. I got a call from my, he was my production partner on a film, but he was also a lawyer. And so he calls me the next morning, 6 a.m. He's in New York, I'm in L.A. And he, he tells me that he saw my video. I said, yeah, I know, I sent it to you. I wanted your feedback. He said, no, no, it's public. Like, it. Uh, one of the other people on that thread shared it. And I immediately started crying. He, of course, assures me, legally, you're fine. You say it's a submission video. They can't do anything to you. The only thing is they can do is not pick you. And he said, honestly, I think that's what's going to happen because he said the power of your story is the reveal. So, you know, he's a, he was a director. That was how I knew him. And he said, you know, from a director's standpoint, most people – you hear their story and then you're rooting for them like the underdog. And he said, but with your story, it's actually a lot more interesting to see you, you know, do what you do and then to hear your story. And he said, but if it's already out there, then they don't have that. You know, the producers don't have that to work with. So anyway, all this to say that overnight, 3000 people had seen it. I was really, I was looking to go take it down. Back then, Facebook didn't allow you to take it down once somebody else made it public. It was just, I, I know it's different now. Now, like, somebody else can make it private. But it was already shared, and it would just keep sharing. And so I just obviously left it up there. And I didn't get picked to run the course. And sorry, this is so long-winded. No, no, you're good. This, this is good. This is what we're talking about here. So all this to say that, uh, when I didn't get picked to run the course, I was really, really devastated. 
because I had put so much into it and, you know, I felt really vulnerable. And I also, I'm just the kind of person, like, when I go all in for something, I go all in, you know? So I gave myself, like, time to mourn. You know, I didn't do pull-ups for six weeks, which was a really big deal. You know, I emotionally couldn't handle it. And uh, then after that, I said, okay, well, now it's time to move on. And I felt that it was really important to find something positive that I could learn from the experience and move forward. And what was kind of overwhelming for me was this resounding response from everybody saying how inspiring my story was. And I live with me, so, you know, I don't find me all that inspiring. But I thought, well, wouldn't it be so inspiring to have a show that was centered around athletes with disabilities? I thought, you know, the audience would be really inspired by them and they would be really, you know, validated and vindicated. So I started to interview some who I had known. And what I learned was that most of them didn't move in spite of. Most of them moved because of. And that's when I realized, you know, the, really what I was looking to get across to people was that, you know, all human beings are designed to move and the ways in which they do are their unique creative expression. And so that's when I started my show, WIM, WIM, What is Movement, where we explore ways that movement helps people to heal emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually. So, and that one's still in the works. I, I've got nine episodes now, I think. But it's a, it's really much more of a show. Uh, so I have two shows. I have my podcast, and then I have a, a show with five women. We've done two episodes now. It's kind of like a counter to the view. It's called The Right Voices. And I have my WIM show, WIM, What is Movement, where we explore ways that movement helps people to heal emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually. And then I have the Courtney Turner podcast. So. And you still haven't slept enough? No. <laughs> no, what? You still don't sleep enough? Right, right, right. exactly. <laughs> That's all I heard. You've listed all these projects you're working on, and I just all I heard was I'm still not sleeping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> after all that. But I'm much better at it now. Like, I... I don't really, it's, it's more of a time kind of thing, whereas I used to be really an insomniac, whereas now I'm really not. If I, if I have the time, I, I can sleep, and I really do budget it out. It's just not always as much as I'd like. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you got these lists now to keep you, see now, I, I will tell you this, when I, right before bed, I do make sure I have a list of things that are like impressing in my mind, that way I can try uh -huh. to turn off a little bit easier. Mm, that I'm not worried yeah. about forgetting something. Yeah, well, I think that's great. I think that's very helpful for people. Yeah, I don't know if it's helpful, but it seems at least it seems to work. I don't a little bit. Of course. Well, then it's helpful, right? <laughs> <laughs> of course, the only problem is then when I start writing and I I start to develop the idea a little bit more, right? And then mm -hmm. it becomes a problem because, well, as you can imagine. I'm doing this oh. to turn off and go to sleep, not sit here and write the, the book on this. <laughs> yeah, that that could be problematic. I can see that. Yep, for sure. <laughs> so, okay, so you're developing all these things mm -hmm. and, and growing in all these different spaces. How do you keep, I don't want to say motivated, because obviously you've got enough motivation for both of us probably, but keep focused on the the end of it all because like I said you got a lot going on now that's a good question uh, yeah I don't really struggle with the motivation at all I mean that's really not very challenging for me the end of it I think the biggest thing that I struggle with right now is just uh, I would like more hours in the day <laughs> <laughs> that would be helpful you'd still but, you'd uh, fill them all you'd fill them all yeah, I think so, <laughs> for sure. So, which would be great. Then I would be that much more productive. So, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you wouldn't, you wouldn't sleep anymore. I know that. Much. I know that much. Maybe no, that would be put. That would be put in there. I mean, I definitely, I don't have a problem sleeping anymore. That's not like a problem. And Ninja Warrior did not solve that actually. Uh, but now it's just I don't always have time for as much as I would like. So. So what, what do you, when you when you think about 2022, 2023, you've got the shows, you've got the, the podcast, you've got, do you see uh, people getting back into doing, um, 
well, you're a speaker, so uh, conferences and all that stuff. Or we, has the world moved from that, or moving back well, towards I mean, that? Well, I I don't I can't even count how many conferences I've been to just in the past few months. I mean, so yeah, I definitely see. I I haven't seen like you know I moved out of California, so I definitely not seeing people shut down at this point. Which I, I find interesting. I mean, the whole thing's interesting. As the world kind of evolves, we've all kind of changed. Like, obviously, you've got a podcast now, so you've got a yeah. <laughs> so you've got that baby very to take care of. Than, <laughs> very different than two years ago, for sure. I was, uh, you know, speaking and uh, coaching CrossFit and training clients, and yeah, it was very, very different. Oh wait, wait! You so. mentioned training clients. So when did the trainee become the trainer? Uh, I, so at some point I, well, okay, so I didn't make Ninja Warrior and then I got really involved in aerial arts and so I was looking for things for grip strength and then I don't, I guess, I don't know, at some point I tried CrossFit. I was looking not to be working with the trainer at that point. So I was looking for something else that I could do. And I had a friend who, when I went to visit her, had me join her for a CrossFit class. <laughs> and it was Murph. That was my first workout. So she had me do, like, all the pull-ups. And then a couple of years later, when I was trying to figure out what else I could do, you know, and I didn't want to just join another gym. They, I don't know. The prices had gotten really expensive. And so... I had tried CrossFit and I really loved it. Like I loved it so much that I got my L1 within like a few weeks of, of joining CrossFit. So I got certified as a coach and then I had my training certification when I first graduated from college. You know, I didn't really, I trained a couple of clients back then, but I really didn't keep up with that. But then I did the L1 certification for CrossFit and I ended up filling in at the gym like just to help them out because they had coaches who were just constantly bailing out and I lived really close and I was like I do have my L1 if you know you ever you're ever in a jam you, you can call me so but I ended up coming on staff and then I started just training clients outside of that also so and I worked at two different gyms so so you, you went from paying for gym memberships to having them pay you for teaching classes Yes, I did. <laughs> Which is just, again, fascinating. So what? Okay, I hate to say this, but what's I mean, what's next in that arena? Because you're always uh, bad pun because we talked about this earlier. Climbing the hill. Climbing the hill. Um, <laughs> so I I don't know what's next in that arena. I mean I I I think I'll mostly just going back to. Uh, on that front is developing WIM, doing the speeches and the aerial performances, which I have. I have an aerial performance coming up in a couple of weeks in May, and then I have a speech and performance coming up in June. So I'm hoping to really get back into that in that arena. I have, you know, I have a client I'm training now, but I'm not necessarily, I don't have time to build up like a, you know, in-person kind of, you know, with several people i just don't think i could do that right now not with the podcast and the other shows so yeah so i would really just that that's where it will be i'm i'm still trying to figure out how you keep this all together uh, <laughs> <laughs> because you, you have you have the energy and you want to keep moving right so that, that's a that that's a uh, gotta be a blessing and a curse at the same time though right because yeah, sit that the, the blessing and a curse to have all this energy to want to keep moving, but you told me, well, the last two days you've spent six hours doing podcasts. So, how yep. do you how do you manage that that energy to want to move and sit and talk to people? Well, I I go to the gym like usually Wednesday first thing in the morning. I usually it's usually a few hours after I've been awake, but I go almost every day, and then I do my aerial training. I carve that into my schedule, and yeah, and then I periodically will take walks and whatnot. 
And then the rest of the time, I spend researching, reading, podcasting, and yeah. <laughs> so it's a balance, right? You can't move all day long. In fact, I, I mean, when I was training for Ninja Warrior, I did a lot of that. I mean, I was really trained. Even when I was coaching, I, it was way more time than it should be. Because then you don't have time to recover. And that's why athletes tend to break down so early. So you that- want to you want to move enough to, you know, that you you want it should be so that you can move for the long run, not so that you're like killing yourself every day all day. Yeah, I think I've seen Tiger Woods say that if he had to do it all over again, he would have ran so much. He would have did some other stuff. Which yeah, I I mean my my knees would have appreciated if I ran less and I really don't run much now. So, <laughs> so okay. So I, I think about that Yogi Bear. I think it was Yogi Bear. I hate to uh, associate somebody with a quote and then not be right about it, but they were talking about baseball being 90% physical and the other half mental. Mm-hmm. Well, so how, yeah. <laughs> something like that. Um, so how much of that, I mean, how much of that balance do you see? When you, I, I see a lot of, I mean, so much of, especially with, is so much of it is mental, really. We're often capable of so much more than we think we can. Our limitations often are mental. That doesn't mean that there aren't physical limitations. But a lot of it, and I mean, I really know this personally. For me, I'm very much kind of a sheer will type person. I will kind of will myself to do a lot more than I probably, you know, would have been than one would have thought I would be able to do. So, yeah, I think mental, absolutely, requires a lot of focus. I mean, even things you wouldn't expect, like weightlifting, actually requires a lot of focus. If you're not in the right mindset, like, it's really hard to make that lift. If it's, if, you, if it's really going for a max, you know, any kind of an aerial kind of piece that I'm doing, you have to be in the right mindset because it requires so much thought process. It's like a dance. You have to remember the routine. So, yeah, I think that that's, so help, so how help me get there? How do we get better prepared to do these things? Is it meditation or is, or is it just repetition of doing them or? Yeah, it's doing it. Yeah. So you get better at anything. So is there, is there an overwhelming philosophy when you're trying to get into this mindset or is it just working through it? The, the mindset of what? Of like. Well, well. So when you do your aerial routine, right? Uh-huh. How do you get mentally? And I mean, because you know, I'm thinking of the stick and ball world that I dabbled in. I won't say I did anything great uh, with it, but there's still. I mean, you're still playing a game, so you're still yeah. doing it, right? It doesn't matter how what the yeah. level is, you're still involved. Sure. But yeah. But what you're talking about is individual to the individual level, plus this mm-hmm. other level. Uh, bad pun like other level because you go from right. dance to doing it in the air so there's different oh, I'm here I am saying levels again I can't think of a different word uh, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying like to, yeah so go ahead answer my question before I, I ask another one and I'll give you a chance <laughs> to answer this one. Uh, so I think you I think people expect like this when you talk about like mindset like something some major shift is going to occur and I don't think that that's accurate. I think it's more you just have to do it. And then you, as you do it, you reinforce this notion that you can do it. And it gets better. This is why, I mean, I, for most people who don't want to move, you tell them to walk 15 minutes a day and just start with that. And it usually leads to half an hour, 40 minutes. For most people just getting to the gym, they'll end up, staying there way longer than they thought they would you know so it's really it's not the right mindset isn't going to just like hit you like a ton of bricks it's really more about taking action that's why again movement as a metaphor right so if we're not moving then we're stagnant and we're stagnant as human beings we're either evolving or devolving and if we're devolving we're dying (laughs) so we really need to keep moving if that's how we grow that's how we evolve we make progress we learn but if, if you're waiting for the perfect moment or the perfect mood, you know, that's going to be a needle in the haystack. It may happen once in a blue moon, but it's certainly not going to be the norm. 
Yeah, that's what kills me about people that make their New Year's level resolutions to start doing X, Y, and Z. But I'm mm-hmm. going to wait until January 1st. Like, oh, why not just start now? <laughs> I mean, you've already planted the seed. Why? I mean, just do it. But what do I, what do yeah. I know? <laughs> exactly. I concur. Yeah, I, I've never done resolutions, actually. So, yeah. You, know. you should start. What, what, what's, what's planned for 2023 right now? Maybe we could, we could knock <laughs> a few out. I mean, let's, no, let's, I, let's not jump too far in anything right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I, I Resolutions, I feel like, set me up for, I think it's a way to set people up for disappointment. I'd rather just whatever it is you want to start doing, start doing it. I, I, and It always fascinates me because there's always these, and it's always about the same list, right? Mm-hmm. Going to work out, going to lose weight, going to do x y and z better but but tonight i'm gonna have this double stuffed apple pie because well i'm not there yet Ooh, apple pie right. sounds good. anyways before i get sidetracked on that rabbit hole um <laughs> i'm a whole i'm a huge fan of rabbit hole so any rabbit hole you want to go down well, okay any rabbit hole i want to go down so okay let's go here for a second because normally i kind of talk about more spiritual paranormal kind of things have you had any uh-huh. ghostly paranormal experiences? I have not. I, I've talked to a lot of people who have, but I personally have not experienced it. I definitely think it's entirely possible, but it has not been something that I've per- personally experienced. Well, I, yeah, but I do I, know people who have, yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, it's good that you've talked to people out there that have had those experiences because... Some people just close themselves off to it, which blows my mind, but that's probably going to make me get some hate from people. And what's your email address so they can send it to you and not me? Oh, wait, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I definitely do not close myself off. I'm uh, I'm pretty open. I explore some, uh, you know, pretty kind of esoteric things for sure. And as a kid, I was always really interested in uh, quantum physics. And I think that really opens the door to a lot of things that are not tangible. So we, even what we're talking about with time, right? I mean, that's kind of all the man construct of things we've kind of put. The tw- yeah. Put the time, the 24 yeah. hours and the 365 days in a year and the 12 months. Oh, that's yeah. kind of all well, time. Is a linear time is a linear construct is a man-made concept. I, I don't know if time itself, you know, is, but well, time well, is a linear construct. Yeah, the measurements of time, I guess. I should be more mm-hmm. specific yeah. about that. But For sure. My three-hour podcast yesterday was with Sean David Martin, and we talked a lot about time as a, you know, the linear concept versus how time actually occurs. Yeah. See, it's funny. I didn't, you didn't mention that before, and here we are. I just kind of stumbled upon okay. it. Here we are. Yeah. <laughs> So okay, so since we're here, and uh, I kind of started with podcast things, and I love asking other podcasters about these type of things because I'm a nerd for podcasts. Since I've been doing mine for almost eleven years now, oh, that hurts. Makes wow. me feel old. Like a uh, podcasting grandpa. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it makes me feel old. Um, uh, what what what's one either topic or person? I'll kind of give you an out either way because I know sometimes this can be hard for people that you would want to talk about that you haven't yet. That I want to talk about or to? Well, to or about. Like I said, some people don't want to name a person specifically and other people be like, oh yeah, I want to talk to, well, around here it's Bill Murray because I just think he's fascinating and Ghostbusters and all this other oh. stuff. But, you know. Um, well, a uh, non-living person Okay. <laughs> non living person who's top on my list would be Dr. John Coleman. But uh, but I probably can't talk to him in this realm. So um, Well, maybe I can work that out for you. We could probably get a medium or something in here and we could oh wait. <laughs> Well, if we can arrange that, I have a ton of questions for him. Um, but uh I don't know. I mean I have I have a list of a hundred people who are like on my wish guest list. I think my top two right now are like Steve Benton and Alex Jones, but yeah, you could get there. Yeah, I well, I mean, I didn't write them down for nothing, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, 
Well, of course. I mean, but the, I mean, you've, like I said, you've got to start somewhere, though, right? You've just got to. Yeah. And I'm glad that you wrote them down because I know that's part of my struggle. Well, I that's, always that's just... how you make it reality when you actually write it down. It's funny because the other day I, <laughs> I was going through my book of randomness and I found my original like goals for the show, which baffled me because you know they were so nearsighted, right? Like just right. six weeks, six months, you know, it was kind of like, and now it's kind of like, boy, that was kind of foolish at that time. Now I'm like, <laughs> now what do I do with all this? <laughs> <laughs> well, now you write new ones that are bigger and better. Yeah, I guess I need to get back to that, writing things yeah. down. Yeah, <laughs> writing things down is really, really powerful. I mean, it makes it tangible. I mean, obviously visible. Yeah, I think it's, I think just the sheer act also of writing it, I, I mean, typing it is fine too, but I think there's actually something about physically writing that helps, I don't know, this is probably going to sound kind of woo-woo, but I think it is just that putting that energy out there and it is a physical action. It's a different, it's different though than typing it. I'm not saying typing it is a bad thing, but there is something to be said for just pen to paper. It's funny because I sit here with my note, my notebook with actual pen and the paper that I do all my show notes in, mm-hmm. and um, I can't give that up. Yeah, I understand that definitely. I mean, I'm a really slow writer, and I don't actually love to physically write. I would prefer to type it or put it in my phone. But there are times where I realize it is important to for me to write it out. A lot of times, like when I do my solo live streams, I will take notes. And I have to physically write those. I can't type those up. And I end up retaining so much more. Like, it's a much more uh, cogent kind of thesis when I do it that way. And I've noticed the last few years I've been writing less and less. But that's okay. Mm -hmm. I just, you know, feel comfortable in my own skin and knowing that I can craft a show from conversations in the past that I don't have to sit here and plan every detail of these shows. But... It's just still that organic connection, like you're saying, that I need mm-hmm. to write it. Yeah, for the, for the uh, like for my podcast, I don't typically take much notes, but it's more when I do the solo ones where I'm teaching on something. Teaching on something? Like what? Give me some topics here. I, I'm curious because you just keep blowing my mind here, and I, I've, I've spent time <laughs> researching it, and you still, I guess, hearing it versus seeing it. I guess there's another argument to be made here, but go ahead. <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I did uh, I did one on the Great Reset. Uh, uh, sorry, not the Great Reset. I did one on like the backstory of Klaus Schwab. I'm going to do one on the Great Reset, but I did one on the backstory of uh, Klaus Schwab, like who he is and who his family was, and, and then I did one on Tavistock, which is kind of like the mother of all think tanks that nobody's ever heard of. I was gonna say. Uh, I- I being in this weird conspiracy space, I've I've heard of that, but I don't know enough about it to be smart enough about it. So that's good to hear that you've talked about it. Yeah, I, I it's that's actually kind of one of my specialties, <laughs> and I feel like nobody's heard of it, and that's part part of why I feel like it's really important <laughs> to talk about. But really, nobody's heard of it, and it is kind of the mother of all think tanks, and in a lot of ways, it ha- it's like the head of the octopus because it has its tentacles in so many organizations, agencies, uh, think tanks, so forth and so on. I mean, it really is the the head of the octopus. And it started out as the Wellington House, which its other name was the British Propaganda Bureau. Not making that up. That is actually what the name was. And then it, in 1921, uh, someone whose last name was Tavistock, donated money for a building to do research on shell shock, and which, you know, eventually led to uh, trauma baseline control. But that was in 1921, and then in 1948, it became uh, the Tavistock Institute of Human Relations. That's the clip notes. I wish I had a think tank. <laughs> oh, wait. You I have do. a think tank? I do. I have a think tank. It's called the Duck Pond, and the, the people over there... There's a bunch, there's probably five or six of them who have absolutely fell in love with you and probably going to be following you all around social media now because um, that's what they do, just so you know. These, li- <laughs> awesome. these, live, these live people make, make my show go much easier for me. I just, 
I'm sure you know that. <laughs> real humans, yeah. Yeah, They're real wonderful. humans, real interaction, and um, yeah. So that's my favorite. So there you go. So it is. It's good. Good being out there in in small groups and having people do your thinking or making you think. Either way, you, you do that. <laughs> yes, that, that, those are good things for sure. <laughs> I want to have a show <laughs> with with you without you. I just wouldn't be as good. Just for the record. Okay, sorry. Arguing. <laughs> back, back to you. <laughs> um, so let's let's end with some general randomness because I normally try to do this with some guests just for fun's sake because, sure. we well, we had a lot of fun tonight, but okay. So here we go. I think it's a lot of fun. Yes. So I hope it was fun for everybody. But. Okay. So like favorite breakfast food or favorite breakfast, I guess. Mm. Interesting. I don't know. I mean, I'm probably going to be boring and say like eggs and or omelets. Yeah. Okay. Well, omelets omelets is a little less boring. As long as a little less boring. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and I really like smoked salmon. Okay. For breakfast. Yeah. I could see that. That'd be good. Um, Somewhere in the world that you'd want to to travel to. Well, I probably will never be able to get clearance for it, but I would be really curious to see Antarctica. Yeah, you're not getting there. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> me me either. I am very curious. <laughs> Just for the record. Um, I'm sure I'm on some of those lists. Uh, that goes without saying. Waves hello to the people <laughs> who listen to me at the Pentagon again. Uh, <laughs> now, I got an email from uh, um, Dot Mill email once man they do listen uh, <laughs> <laughs> i i'm sure uh, which is good okay so where did it go oh pineapple on pizza yes or no Nah, but i'm not like i don't i'm not passionate about it you know it just wouldn't be my choice but i'm not one of those people who's like oh my goodness that's the worst thing ever <laughs> oh well you, you've got to take a hard stand around here so no yeah, that's, that's, I've got a lot of things I take hard stances on. Pineapple on pizza is just not one of them. <laughs> yeah, I, I would just say it's, it wouldn't be my choice. I just got to see this in the chat room, so you're going to have to, somebody's going to have to fact check. Uh, Antarctica has vacation tours there. Her friend took her daughter. Hmm. Really? So we may, so we may not need clearances or to rent a boat. Whoa. So is it like some specific part of Antarctica that they let people go to? Yeah, probably the part that you we know, don't want Antarctica, to go to. They, they, they've, they've lied about even the dimensions of Antarctica, and then they had to correct it. Uh, you know, well, they have a hard time measuring things, okay? Right, right. <laughs> Maybe it was just an innocent mistake. Yeah. Five, you know, well, you know, it's it's measurements, it's, you know, it's it's sub- subjective. <laughs> well, right. I mean, two plus two is five. Silly me. Yeah, I mean, we can't expect people to know or pay attention or understand or even care. <laughs> nah, yeah. nah, of course. Overrated stuff. Uh, let's totally. see. I think you kind of already dabbled with this, but if, okay, so living or dead, you could have three people over for dinner. So say that again. If I could have three for, people over for dinner. Yeah, living or dead. They could be alive or. Okay. Hmm. Huh. Well, I mean, I, I had already said Dr. Coleman dead, but, <laughs> yeah. um, yeah, so he was definitely on my list. I don't know. I always have a hard time with this question because I feel like when I'm not thinking about it, I always have, you know, I always think about it. And then when I'm asked and I'm on the spot, I can never <laughs> think of who I want. I don't know. It's okay. It is a hard yeah. one. Yeah. Okay, so we'll go. I'll give you one more easier one here. Um, mm-hmm. Favorite song. Favorite what? Favorite song. Favorite song. Yeah. I was going for That's, an easier one here. <laughs> I know, but my favorite song kind of changes a lot. It's not like I have like one song that's my favorite song. 
I don't understand that actually. People who have like one song. No, I, I I agree. It does change through the years for me, and it has for me too. So. Yeah, it really changes. Yeah, and I feel like I also have so many. Well, hey, I appreciate you being on. I appreciate you taking all this time to do all this podcasting, and I look forward to hearing more of it. And I'm out of time. Have a good night. Hey, I want to thank you for joining us. It's been a good show tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. Take a few moments, subscribe, share, all the fun stuff. You know how to do it. I don't have to tell you. Just uh, be ready for next week. It'll be sooner than you think. Hello, everyone. My name is Tom Kearns, and I host the Anglo-Saxon England podcast, where I cover the history and culture of England from the departure of the Romans in the 5th century to the Norman Conquest in 1066. So far, we've surveyed the collapse of Roman rule in Britain, the migration of the Anglo-Saxons, and the history of Northumbria from its beginnings in the mists of legend to its destruction at the hands of Viking raiders in the 9th century. I hope you'll come and give it a go.